Hey, homebodies. Welcome back to the Introvert City Podcast, where we discuss culture, media, and faith from the perspective of an introvert's complex mind. How you doing, homebodies and Ices? I'm Karina. And I'm Seth. You forgot that part. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, guys. I'm a little sicky today. Yeah. But it's fine. I'm pushing through, and yes. I'm super excited for today's episode, which is surrounding the topics of churches. And there's lots to say about church, obviously, but let's just kind of ease into it. Yeah, we did, an, we did an episode earlier this season about televangelists called Prophets versus Prophets, and we kind of talked a little bit about church and money and big-time uh, evangelists and some certain scandals. But today we want to kind of take more of a look at church and money a bit deeper rather than just talking about specific people. So before we get into the interview, Seth, what do you think about church and the way that it's looked at now? And do you think that it's necessary for the modern Christian? Because I've heard a lot of people say, a lot of Christians in my own life be like, oh, it's fine. Like church is, is me on Sunday reading my Bible. I don't need to be in a building. What do you think about that? Well, for one, I think the Bible talks very often about meeting with people and having fellowship and speaks well of fellowship and speaks well of having multiple people, you know, where there are two or more in my presence. I think it's very important to be in the presence of other Christians. And I think that it is important to have church and to fellowship with others and to be with others in a group setting like that. I think church is important. Of course, there are people who say, I can't make it to church, but I think that it is important. If you can make it, make it. I think it is important. Good answer. What do you think? Good answer. I know that a lot of people have been hurt by the church. I know a lot of people, um, especially in the millennial, early Gen Z generation, feel like they want to do church in a different way, or they say that, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to wake up and do church by myself because the church hurt me in this way. And sometimes that church hurt revolves around a leader that they look up to, that they looked up to and failed them, yeah. or mm-hmm. perhaps some scandals that they saw, like we talked about in our televangelist episode. But to break all of it down in the specific area of church and money and tithing and all of those gray areas that you might have questions about that you wonder, how should a church go about this in a moral and ethical way? Professor Bruno, this is the second time we're having you on. And the first time we talked about the overarching narrative of the entire Bible and what shalom means, a lot of stuff that wasn't super specific, basically what you teach in your classes and how to connect different stories together into the canon of the Bible. Really awesome stuff. Mm. But we want to talk about the modern church today. So can you talk for just a second about co-pastoring and working in ministry and going from ministry to a professor and what that was like? Well, thank you very much for having me. Okay, so that's asking about the church experience. So what it was like being a part of a fast-growing church um, that was pretty vibrant, a lot of young adults there, uh, I mean, all the energy was one of the things that made it exciting. Having a unique church or, or being a part of a unique church that had an age group that wasn't normally found in church, and, and a lot of that being, that including a lot of young males, some married, some not, some had families, just to be pastoring over a group of people who are not normally found in church was very exciting. You know, I was driven to teach biblical theological truths and uh, this became the opportunity to do that as my career and to witness 
it having an impact in the lives of people of of a demographic that isn't normally in church. That was in part living the dream. This was a church that that would be considered uh, urban. It was in you know in an urban context, urban culture, and I I actually went in not expecting that it was going to have the impact that it did. At least you know my part. So hmm. I'm really grateful for that. And yeah, I mean there's there's I guess I'm trying to narrow down in my mind what did I enjoy about it. Just everything that involved being in the lives of these people and helping them to grow in their faith in Christ, especially knowing what many of them were coming from, even though that included a lot of mess that they were still going through or at times getting caught up in, and any of the disappointments of finding out things about people who may have been hiding things uh, was far Mm. outweighed by the numbers of people who were hungry, wanted to grow, who were growing not only in their knowledge but in their love for Christ. So um, the freedom to do that and to do it creatively, to do it without uh, restrictions of having to be uh, within a certain, you know, church structure. There are certain theological boundaries you have to stay in just to, you know, not go off track with what you're actually teaching. Hmm. But I was able to be very creative and, and very much myself in what I did, the way God designed me to be and to teach and to uh, influence others as a leader. Hmm, sounds like you had an interesting experience with that church, um, and I'm glad that you had such a great and positive experience there. Um, even with whatever troubles there might have been, it's great that you could have found a good place to be in that church, and that's really amazing. I wanted to ask, as we get kind of into our discussion about certain topics such as tithing and offering, in your time as a pastor at that church, what type of things did you learn about tithing and offering? Well, I don't know that I really learned much there about it. I had learned some things before getting there mm-hmm. uh, that gave me an idea of how that's supposed to look. But, excuse me, it was actually a ministry I was at prior to that one that was a nonprofit Christian organization that I learned about how money in those organizations is supposed to work and how it's supposed to be understood. But I already had my own understandings by the time I got there as far as What's tithing? What's giving? What does it mean to tithe? What, what's it supposed to represent? What's it supposed to go toward? And those kinds of things. I mean, people view differently how to give, whether they're supposed to give at least 10%. There's debates on whether or not they should be giving 10% of their gross pay or 10% of their net pay. I mean, it really gets pretty um, detailed. Um, and you can even say in some cases, you know, petty. But you know, then for others, it's it's uh, just giving whatever you can give, depending on their interpretations of what the Bible teaches on giving, and that even is different ideas about it between Old Testament and New Testament. It seems like hmm. so. It sounds like it's a little bit of a gray area, and that different churches may have different standards depending on denomination, depending on where they're at in their building process. But is there anything outside of the gray area that you would say this is definitely not okay when it comes to tithing and asking the congregation for money? Yeah, there's lots of situations where things are done wrong. Uh, One probably common thing is that if a church is raising money for, let's say, a specific project, and that's how they put it out there, we're raising money for this project, and we need your help, okay? So people start giving toward that project, And what can happen is the 
managers of that organization, or sometimes it's one person making all these decisions, which is a really bad idea. They realize behind the scenes, oh, you know what, we're short on money in some of these other areas of the church or of the ministry. And so they will take some of the money that's given toward that project and then use it for other things. That I have found in my experience to be pretty common that at least ministries think about doing that. And as far as my experience in pastoring, that was actually one situation that came up. It wasn't the first time that I ran into that, but I remember the church was raising money for a specific project, and that's what we told people. And with genuine uh, concern, they looked at just some of the money that we had left for general purposes in the church, including our own salaries, and said, we're getting really low. We're going to have to take some of this money that was given toward this project uh, to, to put toward general expenses. And I, which I tend to be this person in leadership groups, I spoke up and said, we can't do that. And everybody kind of started to look at me like I had three heads. <laughs> and because I understand they all wanted to make sure they got paid. Yeah. But, you know, they, they probably got a little annoyed that I interrupted a plan for them to still get paid. So I literally had to explain to this group of people, we already put this out as a, um, as, as a uh, giving campaign for a particular project. Now that we've done that, we cannot now take that money and use it for something else. That's literally illegal to do that. Mm-hmm. Some things are just bad practice. Other things are be, like you get in trouble. And so, you know, that, that, was a, that was a pretty rough meeting because it was almost like a couple of people didn't want to accept it. Most of them didn't understand. And I'm going, we should understand this stuff. And so that meeting ended still with pretty much everybody being annoyed with me mm-hmm. until a business mm-hmm. guy came in and said exactly what I said. He said, you can't do that. And, and then everybody goes, oh, okay. Said, All right, well, whatever, as long as they listen to somebody. So, but, but I've run into that a few times. So even as the pastor, they looked at you like that? Yes. Wow. And you said in, in that... I wasn't, I, I, I was one of the pastors. Yeah, but still, even as the pastor and having that authority yeah. in the meeting, it's weird that they still kind yeah, of rejected well, you. One person said to me, you know... We don't even make a lot of money. We could get paid a lot more doing something else, as if they were already making a sacrifice by being at this church. And my response was, that's fine. That doesn't change the fact that you can't do this. Mm-hmm. And I said, I will forfeit my pay mm-hmm. if you try to pay me out of that money. I want to point out, I feel like that is where a problem begins to arise in people, in ministry in particular, with the whole, like with a person saying, we don't even get paid that much when you start to focus on the amount of money you're getting paid because being a pastor is typically a very modest job. I've always found like I've always found that people will always say things like that, but I feel the second that you bring in the idea of I'm not even making that much money here and I could be making more depending on what we get as, as offering, that's where I think the problems begin to start arising. And I just want to keep that in everyone's mind. You said that in the section of when you answer that question there, you said that it's a bad idea for one person to handle finances. Yes. And I want to know why. I, I agree with you, but for someone who doesn't understand this the system, why is it a bad idea for one person to manage finances? And how is that different from, say, one pastor leading a church or one person leading kids ministry? Like, why can't one person handle one aspect? Mm-hmm. Good question. Let me just respond real quick to what you had mentioned, Seth. 
about as soon as you bring up the pay. That's true. I'll even, I'll even say there are people who are in full-time ministry that are making low money, and they are making a sacrifice, and that's appreciated. But it's just when that becomes a reason to also do things you're not supposed to do. Hmm. And even if you think it's the right thing to do or it's okay to do, but somebody's trying to show you you can't do that, like this is not just a matter of opinion, but now like a matter of law, you can't hmm. do that. Whatever somebody makes or is sacrificed, like that's just an irrelevant question at that point, right? Hmm. It's apples and oranges. Hmm. It's only apples and apples if we're talking about, I don't get paid that much, so can I get a raise? That's different. It's apples and oranges when you're not getting paid much is, in your mind, enough reason to do something you're not supposed to do, hmm. right, if that makes sense. Hmm. Okay, but to answer your question, I think first I should give some backdrop as to nonprofit organizations. There's for-profit organizations and there's nonprofit organizations. Okay, a business is a for-profit organization where all of the money that comes in after general expenses are paid, employees are paid if they have all that, right? The business owner has ownership of all the profits, right? And that's Potentially, they hope to become wealthy by getting in as much profit as possible. Then there's nonprofit organizations where people are staffed. There's usually a leader and a lot of money could go into those organizations, usually by giving. You could also sell products, but it's mainly by giving and donations. That leader of that organization is not a business owner and does not have rights to the money that's beyond the general expenses. That leader, like everybody else, is getting paid a salary, a certain amount of money, maybe even the highest salary, but still it is a set amount of money that they're supposed to get that is determined by a board that's set up, a team of people. And the board is supposed to decide this will be your salary. Okay. okay. Right? So... When churches, let's say, for example, are getting a lot of money coming in, that's actually not a bad thing. That, I would say, is a very good thing. And all of the money that goes in does not go, like, to the pastor. He doesn't get whatever goes into the church. He has a set amount of a salary that he gets, and outside of his salary, anybody else's salary, and all other expenses— that money goes into other projects, right, mm -hmm. to pay for other projects that are being done through that organization. But it's not owned by the leader like it is in a business where it's that, that money, all the profit, I'm sorry, everything beyond expenses is owned by the business owner. Does that make sense? Yeah, that was a great breakdown. This may be more emotional, but I was having a conversation with a friend of mine um, a couple of months ago and it was about church hurt because something had happened in her church that kind of shocked everybody, and um, she was struggling to go back and to see the good in her church because of the really bad situation. And she was telling me, you know, all these people are emptying their wallets for this church and giving all this money to the church, and they think it's going to God, but it's just going to the pastor, and she was so angry. What would you say to somebody like that? Like, would you give that whole systematic explanation or is there kind of a more simplified way to put it well like you i would empathize with her and i would fault in the examples of churches because they're not the only nonprofit organizations 
religious organizations are not the only nonprofit organizations. Okay. Yeah. But a church is a nonprofit organization when it's set up with the paperwork and for people to give taxable giftings and all that. I would fault the pastors out there, and I love you pastors, and I don't want to start out, uh, you know, in talking about pastors in a negative way. But I don't like it when pastors in speaking about giving to the church use it in language of giving to God. Hmm. I don't like that either because even if subconsciously, okay, that puts a pressure on people. And if they're, especially if they don't have a lot of money and they're debating, should I give this, shouldn't it? I mean, should I make this a demonstration of faith? I don't want to disappoint God by holding back from God, okay? I wish pastors would be just much more honest in their language for what people are giving to. And if they say, even if the church is in a bad place, listen, the church is not doing well financially. As the members of the church, if you're able to help us out to build up our uh, resources a little bit more, to make sure that our staff is taken care of, or to make sure these projects are going to get seen through, uh, please consider giving more, and this is what it'll go towards, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. That's honest. But when they start using language of, are you going to give to God or not? God is, is calling you to give to him today. You give to your mm. children. You give to your recreations. Well, what about God? Are you going to neglect God? And it just, to me, becomes, I don't, I don't know if they have good intentions or not when they do that. But I just don't like the use of that language. Somebody's benefiting from that when that mm. language is used, and especially those kinds of churches that you probably talked about in your last episode, which I wasn't there for. Um, the televangelist episode. Yeah, those that, that have a really bad, even theology on giving will especially use that kind of language. But a lot of churches do that. A lot of churches do that, and mm. I don't like it. So I, I, would, I would empathize with that person that you spoke with uh, because if that's the language she was hearing, yeah, that'll damage people. And people, people who, some people who leave the faith, they will, they will reference that stuff. How long of a fool was I to think that mm -hmm. I had to give to God? What, I thought God had everything. I thought God was everywhere. I thought God knew everything. What does he need my money for? Mm. Well, that person's right. God doesn't need your money. <laughs> but the language is not help, helpful to say, give to God, some do intentionally manipulate with that language. I don't think everybody does, but some do. Interesting. And I want to I wanna kind of go back to when you were saying you give to your children and all this big stuff in church. I feel like so many times we get these <laughs> mini monologues, mini sermons right before the message or after worship while we're in the spirit that people are like giving us these miniature sermons about tithing and offering. And I don't always think it's a bad thing, but do you think that typically it's used to kind of guilt people into giving or that it's used more to just ask people to give money? How do you see it? Do you think it's a good tactic? Yeah, I, I really don't. I, I mean, they can be helpful as long as they're healthy. Mm. And to me, it doesn't have to be a mini sermon. It could just be an explanation of what it means to give. The church can say, we are a nonprofit organization. Because you'd be surprised. A lot of people in the church don't understand that. Hmm. They, they're giving, 
And because they're giving, they have the right to know exactly what's going on there, right? But they're That's a good point. Right? They're 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 giving because they think they're supposed to and they are, right? If they're committed and want to help, but all they know is they're kind of doing this because if they don't, then they're doing something wrong, right? So, my main point is I think it's fine to do a little speech that says, "Listen, we are a nonprofit organization." And as a nonprofit organization, that means that we are legally allowed to receive donations to do things in the community to help bless and serve the community. That also means pastor gets paid, second pastor gets paid, youth pastor gets paid, worship leader gets paid. I don't know. That's to free these people up to do what they do for you here. But also there's lots of things we want to do in the community. Feed the homeless, reach children with tutoring, offer a sports program, right, whatever it is. And these things cost money. So when you give, you're giving to these programs and helping as people are getting paid, they're helping these programs happen so that we're making a mark in the community to help build it up. So that's what you're giving to. You can even put on display, here's what we do on a regular basis with our sports program, and here's generally what it costs, and it's been going really well, and here's a, here's a nice one. We even just want to say thank you. Hmm. We're not asking you to give right now. You already give on a regular basis, but mainly we want to say thank you because your giving has meant we've been able to do this for these teenagers who normally would be out in the street getting in trouble, but this church has been providing a sports program to get them out of that, and your giving has helped that. They can even show results of their giving. Listen, people get yeah. motivated. Churches you don't, don't to, do that. You don't have mm-hmm. to be afraid that if you don't guilt people that they're going to stop giving. They love to see the results of what they're giving to, mm-hmm. right? So a speech is great to explain to people what it is that's actually going on because they should be educated. And the mm-hmm. people who, who are, let's say, successful business owners, who are givers, they know all that stuff. And they're going to ask a lot of questions. And a lot of them mm-hmm. won't go giving to these other churches that do a lot of guilt tripping because they know that's not right. They know how money works. They know how a nonprofit organization is supposed to work. Much less educated, larger amounts of people can tend to get manipulated into giving a lot of times. Uh, and even if they have it to give, that's great. But I, I think that they should understand. Yeah, that's a really great layout. I think everyone needs to understand the definition of a nonprofit organization because I didn't understand what it meant. I only knew know now what it means because... I work in communication and we do a lot of graphic design stuff and in interview and you too, Seth, you work in in marketing and we have to create these social media images for all these nonprofits. And that's how I learned what it is because in the communication and marketing field, you're always working for nonprofits Mm -hmm. and people don't realize that a church is a nonprofit. There's non-religious nonprofits Mm -hmm. and having that knowledge of what it actually is and where your money is actually going is super important. And I think you're so right that churches don't need to be afraid to stop guilting people because people won't stop giving. People will be more prompted to give if they know what they're giving yeah. to. So It reminds me of like when, when you go to the store and you go to the card reader and it says, do you want to give $1 to dying children? Oh my God. Or starving children? It's like, I guess I have to. I guess to. I have to. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so bad when I say no. But I wanted to kind of tie back into the whole mini sermon thing too and about giving. 
I think prosperity gospel is something that is very dangerous in today's society and has been dangerous in the modern church probably since like the 80s, really. In our televangelist episode, we talked about the issues with prosperity gospel. And I want to talk a little bit more about prosperity gospel here as I tend to see in those miniature sermons is where you get little glimpses of prosperity gospel in the normal church where they say things like, I gave $20 and now I have a house. I gave this when I had nothing and now I have a car and now I have a wife and I have children and now I have a huge blooming business. And they're like, if you give too, you'll get that as well. And there are people who will give all their money and never see anything. What do you think about that? I think it's tragic. Yeah, that has happened a lot, I think, as a result of what was going on in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Many more evangelical Christians uh, have woken up to see and call out the unethical practices that that is. So much could be said on what you just raised there. I remember one particular megachurch television ministry, I believe it was in the 90s, where they were raising money for what was supposed to be a new building. And this building, they were, they, they were showing images of it, you know, televised, of course, and it just, you know, it looked like a palace. And it was a prayer building. That's what it was. A mm. prayer building, right. So it wasn't a even palace a palace-looking place. No, that was just going to be building. a prayer building. And so at some point, the minister, who had been it was very, very, very well-known, stopped asking or I'm sorry, stopped saying anything about that project. And he was in an interview, and, and it was on the same network, so he was protected, but somebody asked him, whatever happened with the prayer building? He said, the Lord has shown us that we're going to use that for other things for his work. No. That's yeah. some stuff. Yeah. That's some now, stuff. Now, now, in that culture, he got away with that. That mm. right there should have been enough that if somebody, let's say, worked for... Um, the IRS should have looked right into that because people were giving toward a certain project and he spiritualized it away and nobody knows what happened with that money. All that says is it went into his general ministry's fund, right? Mm. And this guy got paid a lot for his salary. That's another thing when it comes to who's in leadership making these financial decisions. That movement has been at the front of the line of influencers who have manipulated people into giving. And I'll even say this uh, about my own father now who's passed on, okay? So Pop-Up. Unfortunately, he was into those kinds of preachers. And you know, he never had a lot. He had, you see where Nana still lives. I mean, that was his house in the city our whole lives. And we were provided for, thankfully, but we didn't really have much. But he believed that if he gave enough, he would get enough back to really... Um, have an upscaled lifestyle. And mm-hmm. he literally would write checks that would bounce because they, those people would say, you don't have the money, then write what they would call faith checks and trust that God will provide. And watch how God comes through. If you really want to show your faith, now here's the interesting thing, and I hope everybody hears this. If that's what it takes to prove faith, then how come not one of those preachers has ever said, you know what, I'm going to show you my faith and I'm going to write you a check and watch God provide for me. It's always the listener providing for the preacher. And that's the Mm. avenue of faith. I'm so glad. I mean, I know televangelists are still, there's always going to be a sect of those people. 
But I'm glad that we're not in the peak of televangelist scams. Yes, with the uh, fabulous televangelist haircuts as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, it is I so sad. Those haircuts. Uh, no, you don't. They're not it. <laughs> you would love it. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Seth literally sent me a picture of Elle's papa from Stranger uh, <laughs> Things and said, this looks like a televangelist. This looks like a televangelist. No, but anyways, it's really sad to me that that was happening in your house, and that's just one house, and that was at peak televangelist culture. Yeah. So that was probably... All of the Christians in your neighborhood at that time probably were falling for that as well. And to know that all of those people were getting scammed of their money, it makes me so sad. And it's and it, and it sucks too because, and as we go back kind of into leadership and salary and all that type of jazz, I think something you find too is that these people though, they find that because when they look at their pastor, their pastor has 17 Benzes. Their pastor has like a... A fifteen-acre greenleaf house. Yeah, they have a private they, jet. They didn't get it by writing a bunch of checks. Yeah. yeah, and you look at some of the pastors that are that were in this time, and even still today, that preach who have a net worth of like seven hundred and fifty million dollars, and you have to ask yourself, where is that coming from? Yeah, and these people they give it because they see those numbers, they see those cars in there in their uh, garages, they see the homes these people are coming to, the shoes and the clothing they're wearing, and they think, if I give that, I can have half of what that guy has. If I had even a quarter of that, then... And and you want to hear a very ironic biblical perspective on that? Yeah. Hmm. So especially when these influencers give themselves the title of a prophet, in the minds of the people, that's even more reason to bless them because they have that special role, right? So they kind of deserve extra blessing. The prophets in Scripture actually were the opposite. They were among the poorest, and that was intentionally because they wanted as little material possessions as possible in order to be the least distracted to be able to hear from God mm. so that they wouldn't be distracted by material possessions. They, were, they had almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Today we flipped that to say the prophets deserve everything because they're prophets. Hmm. Wow. And that's tough because you even look at people in the Bible like John the Baptist who lived in the wilderness. Yeah. People like Paul who Nobody literally... Locusts. And honey. Mm. I, I learned about that mm. <laughs> this week. He ate locusts. Or like First uh, Timothy uh, 6, 6 to 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we were brought into this world with nothing and we, can ta- we can't take anything out of this world either. Yeah. Um, and I find it interesting that Paul is saying that as well because so many of these, we, we I feel like Paul is that guy in church, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the Bible that we reference where Paul spent a lot of his time in prison writing these liter- letters, mm-hmm. spent a lot of his time in a really low point of life. And yet we constantly look at like wealth and we talk about wealth. We talk about all this type of stuff, but wealth is so, it's so skewed, the yeah. word wealth. Again, for-profit organization, a business one person over everything, maybe a business partnership, whatever. But profits, everything outside of general expenses, go to the owners. Nonprofits, not the case, the ones who are supposed to really be in charge are the boards of those nonprofits, this team of people who oversees the management of it all. But they function in their culture like a for-profit, where the pastor is seen as a boss and... I don't know what your what your uh, listening demographic is, but 
just a warning if there are any pastors listening to this now, they're not going to like this, probably. They are not a boss. That's not their role. They might be the lead teacher and might be primarily responsible for the vision, but it should be a board hmm. making the decisions. And the pastor is not only on the board, which I think is okay, sometimes not a great idea, but in, in uh, just about every experience I've been in, that head leader or pastor also chairs the board which means they are the head of the board. And that is just a huge conflict of interest. And they will even put together a team of people on the board because they have to have one for their requirements with the state and the federal government as an organization, a nonprofit organization. So they have to have a board on paper. But they'll put together a team of people who don't understand what a board is and think that the pastor's supposed to be the boss of all that. But the way it should go is even if the pastor's on the board, he shouldn't chair it. And if he says, hey, I got this great idea for this church and I'd like to do this, if the, if the board says, we really don't have the resources for that right now, so we're going to have to say no, mm. he's supposed to go, okay, then mm. I can't. And I don't care if the guy started the church. And this is where I really get irritated. I don't care if they started the church. They're not the owner of that church. They're, it's supposed to be governed by a board who holds the pastor accountable, and if they have to, tell the pastor, you can't do that, and, he, and he's not supposed to. But it doesn't operate like that in a lot of churches in American evangelicalism. The pastor's making all the decisions. The pastor goes and tells the board, I'm going to do this, like it or not. Mm. And they go, okay, well, he's the pastor. And now I want to encourage everybody, if you go to church, I encourage you even to ask questions about your church. <clears throat> Ask your pastor if you had to. Who's on the board here? Mm -hmm. I'd like to know how decisions are made. Mm -hmm. Pastor, do you are you the sole decision maker or are you accountable to a board? And a lot of times they'll say, oh no, I'm accountable to a board. They just mean they have a board, but that mm -hmm. board doesn't hold them accountable. He'll still do whatever he wants to do, right? And try to get a feel for how the church is being responsible for their resources. Are they using the integrity of a board or are they allowing the pastor to make sole decisions? And listen, it may be a person who has good integrity, good reputation, but still it's a bad setup. It's a bad platform where if at any point he wants to start doing things that aren't good ideas, or worst case scenario, doing things that are unethical, he's set up to do that. I was a part mm -hmm. of one ministry where I found out from a person who used to be a part of helping handle the money, not in a, like in a stewardship way, not in a decision-making way. And that person left that organization and confided in me to say that the leader of that organization came to this person and said, hey, if so-and-so on the board comes and asks you for the financial records, don't give it to them. And I said, can I tell this person who was told not to see the records, can I tell that person that you said, please, no. I said, okay. So I kept it confidential. That, like that right there. Because that was one of those models where the person who started the organization and then was the lead person of the organization also was the chair of the board. There was never a rotation of chairs. And that person made all the decisions and basically came to the board meetings saying, this is what we're going to do next. 
And the board wasn't going to say, well, no, we can't, or we don't think that that should happen. So I just want the listeners to know that. Some pastors may hear this and not like it. I don't care because they have to be held accountable and they have to do things with integrity. Uh, they're there to teach God's word. They're there to uh, help cast vision for the direction that the church could go in. All right, But they're not there to be a church boss. And they're supposed to be accountable to a board that, that puts restrictions on them when they have to. I'll give you one good example, if I can, in this long-winded explanation. There's a church out in Chicago, huge, huge church, well-known pastor, radio program, all that, for many, many years. And that guy started the church from nothing. It became absolutely humongous. Eventually, the board started to find that this guy was getting a really, really bad attitude, to say the least. He had horrible leadership skills and how he was handling people, mean-spirited, uncaring, making rogue decisions just on his own. Hmm. And the church eventually, long story short, fired him. The board fired him. And I say, good for them. That's hmm. exactly what's supposed to happen. It's not just when they steal money. It's not just when they cheat on their wives. If they become, if their character gets really bad, the board should have the right to say, listen, this has to stop. And if the pastor thinks he's enough of a boss to say, you can't tell me what to do, then the board has every right to fire that pastor, and they're on legal grounds to do that. And so that guy had to go. Hmm. And that was a great example for people to see that's what a church board should do. It's not all about breathing down the pastor's neck and holding him back, but it is about protecting things to make sure they're done with integrity and not letting one person make all the decisions for all that stuff. Hmm. Even on a board where the pastor is not supposed to chair it, there should be a rotating chair, let's say every few years, just so that it's not one person who thinks they own the thing because the nonprofit organization is no one person's thing. It's supposed to have a purpose of providing some kind of service to people who lack resources in some way. That's the purpose of a nonprofit organization. And so the money that's going into a church is not to pay the pastor because he made a really good message, but it's because there are services supposed to be happening in the community. And the preaching and teaching provides the preaching of the gospel and why we do what we do. But they should also be showing ways that the money is going toward helping people in the community. Hmm. Right? So it's not owned by one person. Does that all make sense? I'm really long-winded today. One more thing. That's okay. One more thing. <laughs> it's a really good sign if the church shows a detailed account of, the, of, the, of its spendings at least once a year to its members. Hmm. That means showing what everybody gets paid. That means showing just about every dollar that went out for what reason. Sometimes there are reports that aren't really reports. We want you guys to see where we're spending the money, and it'll say this much in... in you know what they call revenue, like incoming. There was there's this general overall amount given for that, general overall amount given for expenses, general amount that's in the bank account. Okay, what were those expenses? Right, like list them out. The members have every right to ask, what is the pastor getting paid? What's anybody on staff getting paid? And they have the right to know. And they have the right to ask if they think, frankly, anybody's getting paid too much. I have some questions about that and they should be allowed to ask those questions. I love seeing people be empowered to realize what they should know, and, and, and these are the kinds of things that people should know. I agree. I feel mm -hmm. like 
I mean, the average person going church shopping isn't looking for those things, typically, I feel. They're trying to find a place where they're comfortable and feel at home, which are important things. But, yeah, I don't think people are really asking finance questions. And people don't usually start giving to a church until they feel comfortable at their home church. But then how are you going to start giving and find your home church if you're not sure what's going on financially behind the scenes? So, yeah, I think everyone should should have an understanding of that. What would happen if the that big mega church pastor, like you said, in Chicago, what would happen if he put his foot down and stay, if he was trying to chair himself? That would be like if, let's say, one of our neighbors, somebody that I had some kind of conflict with, that person comes into our house and starts arguing with me. And I say, leave right now. And they say, I'm not going anywhere. What can I do at that point? Call the cops. I can call the cops, right? This is my house. When the cops get there, that person's going to have to leave because I have official and legal rights to that property. It's mine. If, If the pastor did that, I mean, this would be a pretty ugly scenario, but worst case scenario, the board could do that. It could call the authorities and say, we've fired this guy, but he refuses to leave the premise. They're mm. going to take his butt out of there. Mm. Okay? Like th- this, is, this is legally how things are supposed to be set up because, again, he's not the owner. He's technically an employee of that organization. Maybe a leadership person, right? Maybe, and, and even that is with restrictions, but he's not the owner. I feel something so interesting also about what you were mentioning with the board and having the pastor not be on the chair or, or, or all, all this is that I feel like it's also dangerous really to have a congregation or board that is so built by that pastor, like you were saying, where it's just a bunch of random people who aren't taught board stuff. And I th- because I think that the sca- one, of the, one of the worst things a church can become is a giant echo chamber of the same types of people. Because I feel like when you have a pastor who maybe he isn't as a, he doesn't absolutely know everything there is to know, but he's super charismatic, super confident. Um, not saying there's anything wrong with charismatic. I grew up Pentecostal. Chill out, <laughs> it's <everybody>. okay. <laughs> but if you have a pastor who's got a big personality, super confident, and he's just saying all this stuff, the people in the audience will look at him and say, what a great man. He has good things. He's doing great things. I'll follow whatever he says. And the church becomes a giant echo chamber. When a church becomes like that, a pastor can do whatever he wants. And that's one of the scariest things, I think. And I think it, that, that you mentioned about how so many churches will even have a board where the pastor is the chair. I think that's interesting because then that board itself even becomes an echo chamber because these people, what are they going to say to him? Exactly. No. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's frankly the making of a cult. Hmm. It's personality-driven around one person. Now, how does all that happen? How do you wind up with a board that just gives in to whatever this guy says? Does he walk in the room and say, okay, you all are going to listen to me? And they all say, okay. It doesn't start like that, especially for people who start these churches or organizations. They start out small. And because they need names to provide to the state, let's say, or even the IRS for their organization, well, list your board members. Hey, honey, why don't you be a board member? Wife says, okay, sure. Hey, Seth, I always knew you were a leader. Listen, I'm going to start this thing. You would be part of God wants you. He's calling I'd love you, to. Brother. I'd love to. Okay? <laughs> I want to use you. God's got a place for you here. He's got great plans for you. Just come and join me. God's going to do some great things. Oh, wow. Okay. I want you to be on my board. Oh, okay. Right? 
Mm. And they put these people around them who almost can't believe that they're being asked to be put on a board. Or they'll literally say to people, here, just sign this for me. You know, I won't have you really require anything of you. But sign this for me just so I can have names for a board, right? And they just don't really operate the way they're supposed to because the government's not coming in checking all that unless things get really big and really suspicious. Mm. But because, you know, most of this stays under the radar, or I should say off the radar, uh, that doesn't often get checked. But then that's the makings of developing the culture of one guy, everything being centered around one guy uh, from the very beginning. Mm. gathering people around him who think he's supposed to be the boss and he lets them think that and maybe he even he himself thinks that because he hasn't been educated in how this is supposed to go but then he's going to be in for a rude awakening if the right or wrong circumstances fall together so well i do think it's good that a lot of this stuff is coming to light through you know a lot of um people are being called out maybe by other influencers or um people are being held accountable now that we have (laughs) <laughs> the internet and everything, but it is it is sad to know that these things are still happening and people are still being taken advantage of. So just to end on a kind of positive note, um, besides the obvious that answer that we gave, which was intentionally seek out these things when you're church hunting, what else can people do to be aware of these things happening in church? Well, I would say ask a lot of questions and just learn how a nonprofit organization is supposed to work because any church you attend that receives donations is, you could be 98% sure that that is a nonprofit organization. That means it's supposed to function a certain way. Find out how nonprofit organization leadership structures are supposed to be set up. And I'll, I'll make this the positive note. Two things. One, I'm not for pastors being poor. That's not what I'm saying here. If they choose to do that, then I think that that's very noble and virtuous. But I'm not for that. That's not what I'm after here. Hmm. I think pastors should get paid well enough to not have to struggle, okay? I am blessed with a good life. It's a middle-class life, but it's good. I can take my kids on trips. We don't have to worry about food. I'm, I'm very, very blessed. I think pastors should enjoy that kind of a life. And if the church can uh, afford to pay them, in a way that makes sense for the culture that they're in and the economic bracket that they're in in their community, then they should do that as much as possible so that he's not worrying about his needs being provided for and being able to give his kids a decent life if he has children while he's also doing the work that he's doing. That's number one. Number two, I hope churches can get as much money as they could possibly get. I am not for churches being restricted in the amount of money that comes in. I hope there's a limitless number of money that goes in churches. I just hope that they go through the churches into the communities. Hmm. Right? If churches are being given a lot of money and they're doing things the way they're supposed to be doing, an entire community's statistics can change. Crime can get lower. Job placement can go up if they're really serving that community with a lot of money that's coming in. Instead of of going right to, oh no, we're outgrowing our space, we gotta get a bigger space, we gotta start raising money. It's almost always that kind of stuff. Instead of saying, we're gonna keep the smaller building, we're gonna, matter of fact, use this money to send other people out to start churches so that together we can can tackle the needs in this community. Mm, Let's help a church planter buy a little building 
and then they can be a church a half a mile away from us, and we can collaborate, right? Uh, but it's always about making our thing look better is the sad thing. Uh, so if the amount of money coming in went to the right things, I am all for gobs of money going into churches. We just got to understand how it's supposed to work. That was, yeah, that's really good stuff. And I think that is so important. Do you have any closing thoughts, Seth? I enjoy this I, I'm like soaking it all in. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's good that we got to kind of have a part two. Of, to the televangelist, yeah. yeah. Um, I think this was also a much more insightful episode. Uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a good one. <laughs> I just hope people are uh, becoming informed and empowered to find out more. And, and, and you have every right to ask those questions. Don't be afraid to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that's the biggest takeaway that I gained from today is definitely ask questions and keep those um, keep your eye out for, for any of those kind of weird signs that he was talking about um, when, you're, when you're church hunting. And I know it's scary, homebodies, because you're all little introverts that can't talk to anybody. <laughs> but um, I think it's also important for, <laughs> I think it is important for you to, even through certain things like emailing or talking to your close friends at your same church about these type of topics can be really healthy for you guys to do, no matter how, how young you are. Thank you so much to my dad for coming on again. I always love Welcome. Thank you, Ms. Bruno. <laughs> you're welcome. You can find us at the underscore introvert underscore city on Instagram and Facebook. And you guys already know our social medias. I'm not going to say them again. You can find me at it's underscore D-N-U-I-L. And at Karina <laughs> underscore B04. We'll be back next week, guys, with another special guest. Thank yes. you so much. Have a great week.